Hello, and welcome to Morning Commute with Miller Thompson. You're listening to episode 11. Welcome to Morning Commute with Miller Thompson, a podcast for Canada's legal community and those generally interested in Canadian law. Each month, our lawyers delve into current issues surrounding the legal landscape, providing in-depth insight and analysis on key developments in today's Canadian marketplace. Now here are today's hosts. I'm Annie Alport. And I'm Tracy Bailey. This is the second episode in our mandatory vaccination series. As we mentioned in our last episode, We've had a ton of questions from clients in a variety of sectors regarding policies and orders and other government or non-governmental actions in this area. So in our last episode, we thought we'd introduce the topic on a very high level. Today, Annie and I are gonna focus in more on what types of legal challenges and more specifically charter challenges we might see coming out of some of the mandatory vaccination orders or policies today. Yeah, and I'm super excited for today's episode because I am a self-described constitutional law geek. So you read about the charter and constitutional law generally in law school, but it's not something that most people come across often in their legal practice. And certainly the charter is not something that most people think about on a day-to-day basis. But this is something that we do, and I've been lucky enough to work in my practice um, at Miller-Thompson on a number of charter cases. And at any given time, I have four or five charter litigation files on my desk. And so I'm super grateful for this work and super excited for this episode. So... Um, Like I said, the charter is not something that most people think about on a daily basis until, of course, you think your charter rights might be infringed. Now, lately, with public health restrictions, including mandatory vaccines, many people are, for the first time, thinking about their charter rights. And that's why we thought it could be helpful to do this podcast. And now, Tracy, you're particularly well-suited for this podcast, I think, because you've done quite a bit of charter education, right? I have been lucky to do a lot of education in this area over a number of years. I've also been really fortunate to provide advice with respect to a lot of different charter issues. And I've been able to work on factums, et cetera, in the past, including one that went to the Supreme Court of Canada, which was a lot of fun. And, and it is a really interesting area for those who are interested in, in the charter. But for those that perhaps maybe don't always spend their time thinking about charter issues on a regular basis, one of the important things I think, Annie, probably that we should start out by saying is talking briefly again about the application of the charter. Because of course, the charter doesn't apply to everybody. This is a part of our constitution that protects certain fundamental rights and freedoms. And we're gonna talk a little bit about those today, but it really only applies to governments, whether that's the federal or provincial government or officials acting under government legislation or orders, or sometimes other, uh, what the courts have found to be government actors. So for example, health regulatory bodies, uh, would in certain uh, things that they may undertake, and that would include if they're considering mandatory vaccination policies, have to think about potential charter implications. But if you're a business, uh, a, a, an individual um, out in society, you're not subject to the application of, ch- of the charter. So we have we think about the charter uh, application only really with respect to government or who we might think of as government actors. And so with with respect to mandatory vaccine legislation, orders, or policies as a result of other government legislation or government actors, we absolutely have to be thinking of as we give advice to clients, potential charter challenges and what types of details should be in in all orders or policies to try to withstand any challenges that might be posed. On the other hand, if we're adding for people that might want to hope, might want to actually challenge something under the charter, we're looking at it through a different lens. But there's certainly an important set of issues depending on the order of policy. So uh, talking about the charter, let's dig into some of the the rights that it protects. And uh, so we identified in our in our previous episode a few 
of the sections of the charter that we might see engaged by mandatory vaccines. So sections two, seven, and 15. So let's talk about each of those sections briefly in turn. Section two, so what does this protect? Well, there's more than one thing, you know, Annie, as you know, that we might see uh, charter challenges based on out of section two. Section two protects freedom of conscience and freedom of religion. We haven't seen a lot of case law in the freedom of conscience area, although we can talk a bit more about that today. Um, definitely a lot more case law in the freedom of religion area where somebody has uh, a very sincerely held religious belief. So certain um, orders or policies, if they don't provide exemptions, for example, for people with strong, uh, deeply held religious beliefs, um, may well be subject to a valid charter challenge. Another example, and we don't have time to go through all of them today, of course, but another example out of Section 2 is freedom of expression. A lot of the, of the orders or policies we're seeing require people to provide proof of vaccination. Well, to some extent, our charter protected right of freedom of expression, it doesn't just allow us to um, express, uh, you know, express freely. It also protects, to some extent, the right not to, not to express certain things if we don't want to. Uh, we've got Section 7 of the Charter that protection of life, liberty, and security of the person. Uh, and we've got uh, Section 15, as you mentioned, which protects, um, mandates that we should all be treated essentially equally under the law with some provisions attached to that. And another one that, of course, might come into play, probably unlikely, but depending on the details of a particular order of policy, is Section 6 mobility rights um, that, that we enjoy in Canada. And then, of course, we've got the important Section 1 of the Charter. So while we've got these protected rights and freedoms, they're subject to limits. So even if somebody is able to establish that government or government action has breached one of our protected rights or freedoms, government might be able to make a case that it's demonstrably justifiable in a free and democratic society and that they've prescribed it properly by law. That's just some a paraphrasing of the wording out of Section 1, and that allows government within certain limitations to actually infringe our charter protected rights and freedoms in some instances. Okay, so that's awesome. So we've talked a bit about some of the rights that the Charter, uh, rights and freedoms that the Charter protects, um, but you mentioned the limits. So the limit in Section 1, which I think we should dig into a bit more, but there are other limits in the Charter. And you talked about Section 7. So uh, I want to touch on this a little bit. So Section 7 has two parts. It, it protects the right to life, liberty, and security of the person. But then the second part of Section 7 says uh, you have the right not to be deprived thereof, except in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice. Now, this is an important limitation. The principles of fundamental justice have been developed by the judiciary over the years. And now what we know as the principles of fundamental justice are that any laws that deprive someone of life, liberty, or security of the person must not be arbitrary, overbroad, or grossly disproportionate to the objective of the law. So a really interesting Section 7 case in recent years, for example, was the Carter case, which struck down the criminal code provision that made assisted suicide illegal. The Supreme Court found that the provision was overbroad in catching cases that fell outside of the object of the law, and they struck it down. And that's why you'll see that assisted suicide or medical assistance in dying, as we call it, is now legal in Canada. So this is one of the things that the court found that the criminal code was catching that it shouldn't have. So because Section 7 has two parts, even if you establish that a law deprives you of life, liberty, or security of the person, if it's in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice, so not overbroad, arbitrary, or grossly disproportionate, it won't be considered to be a breach of Section 7. So with mandatory vaccines, as we discussed in our last episode, these aren't yet laws that force people to get vaccinated. They're laws that say you need to get vaccinated or there'll be consequences. Um, so some of these consequences uh, may be considered to deprive someone of life, liberty, or security of the person. 
but if they're not overbroad, grossly disproportionate, or arbitrary, then it won't be considered to be a breach of Section 7. So that's just Section 7, which has the inherent limit. But I think we should also talk a little bit about Section 1, which is a big limitation in the Charter. So Tracy, do you want to discuss Section 1 a little bit? So as we've talked about, there are guaranteed rights and freedoms under the Charter, quote-unquote guaranteed. But if somebody establishes that their freedom of religion, for example, or their security of their person has been infringed by a government order, legislation, action of a, uh, taken by a government actor, and the Charter is applicable, government at that point still gets to introduce evidence, or that government actor gets to try to introduce evidence to justify that breach of a Charter freedom or a Charter right. And what are the four things that they're going to have to demonstrate to the court. Well, the first thing that they're going to have to demonstrate to the court is that they had a pressing and substantial objective or aim with implementing their policy. And I think in a number of instances in the current context, that's probably going to be a pretty easy hurdle to establish. We were implementing this order, we were implementing this aim because of um, evidence of, for example, uh, rising admissions into hospitals and ICUs, etc. And, and we think this is a necessary step to try to reduce the burden of this disease in our society. So uh, I'm not saying I'm right about that, but I think that first step in this four-part step under Section 1 of our charter would probably be a fairly easy one to establish and introduce evidence on. But the second thing that's going to have to be established is that there was a rational connection between the aim, in this case of um, you know reducing the spread of COVID, reducing the burden of disease as a result of the spread of COVID, and the actual restriction imposed. So can you show that rational connection between your order, between your policy and your steps taken, and your aim? And again, probably that's going to be uh, based on the right evidence being introduced in our current context. Probably not a really difficult hurdle for a government or a government actor. Then we get into steps three and four, and um, this is where it might be a little more challenging, depending on the legislation or order or policy and the circumstances in a particular case. The government or government actor would have to introduce evidence that there has been minimal impairment of rights. So have they taken other steps, for example, before they took this step in terms of um, trying other things, considering other options? What other things have they done? And have they um, actually taken um, steps that would meet their aims, meet their objectives, uh, but as minimally as possible? Now, that's not, uh, sometimes we hear the language used in other legal contexts, the least intrusive means. It's not It's not identical to that. It doesn't have to be the absolute least uh, infringement that you possibly could have imposed. But there has to be some consideration of was there minimal impairment? Did they rely on public health advice as evidence from other jurisdictions? Those are some of the pieces of evidence we might see introduced to try to demonstrate minimal impairment if challenged on this basis. And then the fourth thing, the fourth part of that test is, is there proportionality between the restriction and the benefit? So this is similar to, but a little bit different than that third part of the test. It's going to be a little bit of balancing about the restrictions imposed and the aims and look at the evidence to see whether there was an appropriate a balancing of those things in terms of, of the restrictions and the effects that, the, that government is aiming for. Awesome. So that is the charter in 10 minutes. <laughs> Uh, so that concludes our episode on mandatory vaccines in the Charter. But this is something that I expect we'll continue to hear a lot about in the coming weeks and months. And to all our listeners, if you have questions about these issues, we would definitely invite you to get in touch and we'd be happy to chat with you. Yeah. Thanks. And stay tuned for our next one. We're going to focus on um, issues around collective bargaining and employment and some occupational health and safety issues related to COVID mandatory vaccination orders or policies. Bye for now. This podcast was recorded by Miller Thompson, LLP. 
Our firm provides a full range of services to address the legal needs of businesses, financial institutions, governments, not-for-profits, entrepreneurs, and individuals. With over 550 lawyers and 12 offices across the country, we cover Canada better than any other national law firm. Subscribe to stay informed at millerthompson.com.